God who is over all time and space, who unites us from different places and different times. We are grateful for your presence among us. And in these very strange circumstances, we confess our fear, confess our worry and our anxiety and our grief, and together we join in the holy task of lament. We lament the fear that is running rampant across the globe. People in fear of their lives, people fearful of not having enough food, people even in fear of their neighbors. We lament the people in our own congregation that are on, in lockdown in their own homes, assisted living residences and apartment complexes, that there is no entrance in or out, that food is hard to come by for some. We lament that there are those who are working so hard to take care of others that they are exhausted themselves. We lament with people in our congregation who are hearing from friends and family members across the United States and the globe who are affected by this pandemic. We lament that there are people who are sick, incredibly uh, and fearfully sick and at risk, especially those with um, existing health conditions. We lament our frailty. We lament our brokenness. We lament that our kids are going without friends and without school, and we lament those who are preparing for graduation and new jobs and all kinds of things that have been halted or indefinitely postponed. We lament with our friends who are doctors and nurses who continue to put themselves at risk to serve the rest of us. And we lament that there is disease, that there is sickness, that there is death. And as we honestly voice our lament and our grief, we ask that you, Holy One, would allow us to see you present with us. The God who died in solidarity with us. And we also ask that as we grieve, as we lament, your Holy Spirit at work within us would grow hope. Not a cheery, um, rose-colored glasses, shallow kind of hope, but a deep hope in the truth of resurrection. Fill us with your truth. Fill us with the hope that you provide, Lord God, even in our lament. We ask that you would continue to make us to be the kind of people that care well for one another so that we can embody the hope that you provide 
through your Son, Jesus Christ. So from all of the places that we gather, we pray this together. This is our prayer. And so we say in the name and spirit of Christ, we say together, amen and amen. My name is Chris, and I get to be one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church. And while you're at home, I would invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, several verses in chapter 1 together. Um, But before we do, I'd just like to say a few things. Uh, Here I stand in our sanctuary, and I'm away from you. This is not exactly the way I thought we would be doing this church. When we started this church about four years ago, we, we were thinking about doing church in a different kind of way. We had a different way in mind. Our desire as the H3 Church was to actually close spaces, not to be far and distant from one another. Our vision at the H3 Church was to always be together. It was to get close, to share small spaces together. Everything that we were about was about coming together. It was about sharing and touching and interacting and coming face to face. It's about being neighbors, getting to know our neighbors and being known by our neighbors. In 2015, when we were imagining this church, we were trying to capture an old but different way, a lost form of bringing in and ushering in hospitality and belonging. We could imagine that we were a church that in our togetherness, we we sat around tables. We thought that that's what church looked like. We were a church that wanted to meet in homes. We wanted to share long meals and even longer conversations. We wanted to know one another's stories. We wanted to play games. We wanted to throw parties. We wanted to dance a lot. Now, I've been thinking about what it means to share life to be known, and to be known by your neighbors. I've been thinking about what it means to sing together and to sing really loud. Loud. Uh, Loud even if you're singing next to the person, and he's singing even if he can't sing at all. He'd He'd be there singing his best. He'd be singing loud even if it was the worst, but he would be doing it for you. And, And you'd be singing your best for him, not just because he needs it, And we all need it when there are bad singers in the sanctuary. But because we believe that when we do these kinds of things, like sing together, we can can do anything. So we gathered in this place for worship, in this sanctuary. And we even have a little mantra that we say. It's kind of funny. We say things like this. The longer that you've tended the 8th Street Church, the farther you get to park, but the closer you get to sit. Now, today, you don't have to drive. You can sit anywhere in your house that you like, and we are worshiping with you. But our church, we, we arranged it differently. We even named our church the 8th Street Church because it was about location. It was about place. It was about being a space and coming in together, being together in that way. And we have always made gathering a priority. But now we're here. And we're a church online. We don't know how long this is going to be. But we're people worshiping together in front of our computers or our phones or our iPads. We're people who are worshiping in all kinds of different places, like the Jewish people of old who are scattered. But we're singing 
and we're singing together and listening and telling stories. We're singing together, listening and telling stories in our living rooms, our kitchens, our bedrooms, wherever. This is a kind of a weird and difficult thing for me. I never thought I'd be a TV preacher, but here I, here I am. And it's weird because I've always believed that Jesus was about incarnation. He went and he touched people who were sick. He was with the poor. He healed the unclean. He was God, after all, who moved into the neighborhood. And he is God with us, according to Matthew. Now, in the spirit of incarnation, we could rebel and we could stand against evil by joining together in this physical space. We all know that that would be unreasonable and irresponsible. And while it might not seem like it, and it's really unusual for us to do church in this way, there's actually biblical precedent to do what we're doing. That biblical precedent is found in the book of Philippians. Paul wrote Philippians, and Paul was isolated. He was put in a horrible, dark prison. I'm sure that there was disease there. It was cold, wet, and it was lonely. And it was not exactly the place that anyone would have chosen to go. And nobody, none of us, would choose where we are today. Loneliness, separation, isolation. Being locked up, it'll, it'll get to a person. A few days ago, my son articulated it perfectly. He just said, I'm going to go crazy if we're in lockdown till July. My friend Mark, who is one of my best buddies, tweeted just this morning, I'm going to go on record to say that introverts need people too. This is hard on everyone. And as Paul laid up in that Roman prison, he was isolated. He was lonely. He was in a posture, in a position of despair. That is, until somebody showed up to be with him. That man's name was Epaphroditus. And he came, while Paul was in prison, he came with all the necessary provisions that Paul needed. He came with food and a warm coat and and money to pay some of Paul's prison debts. And Philippians is that personal thank you. The letter that we have is a personal thank you note from Paul to the church in Philippi for sending the provisions he needed. He was grateful for their generosity, but more importantly, he was grateful for his friend that showed up. To have somebody show up in a time of desperation means the world. Yesterday, as I watched the news, I saw the report of a young man. His name was Liam Elkind, about 20 years old. He was in New York City, and and since the pandemic hit, he started an, an organization called Invisible Hands. So through social media, he's organized over 3,000 volunteers that deliver meals and medicine to those who are too vulnerable to get out. This kid, only 20 years old, shows up for people in an Epaphroditus-type way. I I saw in another news report the ingenuity of a man named Tim Coffer, who actually has a a, a brewery. He runs a distillery. And for years, they've been making alcohol for consumption. But they've dropped that in the middle of this global crisis, and now they're making the hand sanitizer. He said, "We we were all set up for it. The hard part is kind of making the alcohol, but... We know how to do that, he said. And and he's not capitalizing on what he's making. In fact, they're giving away the hand sanitizer for free, longing to keep people healthy. Pastor Hope reminded me in a letter that she sent to families this week of 
Mr. Rogers' advice to kids when things got scary. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Epaphroditus came to help Paul. But then something bad happened. Like so many are today, Epaphroditus got very, very, very sick. We're not sure what it was. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it was a matter of life and death. So Paul did a difficult thing. He had to make a difficult decision. Paul chose social distancing, and that wasn't easy. He chose isolation in that prison because he knew, he knew that if if he didn't distance himself physically from Epaphroditus, then chances were that Epaphroditus could die. So by distancing himself and retaining his isolation, he became the very best sort of neighbor. He did the most loving and redemptive thing in the middle of a terrible situation. That, this kind of activity, social distancing, is hard on us. It's difficult for us. And I've never thought before that, I've never thought of free movement or or being able to go wherever I want, or even being together, or coming to church and worshiping. I've never thought of it before as such a privilege, but it is. Our gathering in a space is something that we've taken advantage of, and it's not until we've lost it that we've realized how sacred it is, and what it does to our souls when we meet together every single week. But during this time, social distancing is a loving and a charitable act. And it has biblical precedence. But it's not just biblically appropriate, it's also historically appropriate. As I scrolled through my Facebook uh, this week, I saw a post of my good friend David Busick. I saw him write this. He said, when Martin Luther, the great reformer, was dealing with the bubonic plague in the 1500s, he wrote these wise words that can help inform the way we approach things happening. In our, world right, in our world right now. Luther said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and I'll take medicine. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus by chance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should choose to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. So with this spirit, Paul did the hard thing. Luther did the hard thing. These are selfless things, selfless acts. And Paul did the hard thing when he sent Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi so they could care for him. Epaphroditus' health, not Paul's own personal preference and need, was Paul's priority. It was social distancing before social distancing started trending. But Paul did find an alternative way to be with that church in Philippi, even when he couldn't be with them. He wrote letters, and he had those letters hand-delivered to them. Brilliant and beautiful and encouraging, loving letters 
he wrote three of these types of letters. We have Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. These three letters are called the prison letters. They were the ones that Paul wrote when he was in solitary confinement. And the spirit of every one of those letters is this. I cannot wait until I am with you again. I look forward to being with you more than you know. Until that day, Paul says, until I can be with you, be the kind of people that God has chosen you to be, that God has anointed you to be, be people of love, be people of hope, people of charity, people of sacrifice, people of joy, people of mercy. And Paul, throughout all three of those letters, had a name for those kinds of people. He called them resurrection people. These were the people that were, as Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite writers and saints, says, these were the people that were a colony of heaven and a country of death. And that's exactly what you are. You are a colony of heaven, now in a country of death. Today, we don't have to write letters. Instead, we have online technology, and we can gather in this way. And I need to tell you how proud I am of Christian Allen, our pastor, who has put together all of this and has worked tirelessly to make this happen. We, we can do this online because of his effort because of the ingenuity and brilliance of others. But I'll say, even while we're online, I'm grateful for Paul's letter to the Philippians, that ancient, that ancient letter, because his words become my words to you. So I say them to you. Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11. And I take this, his words and make them mine. I, Chris, along with Mikhail, Christian, Hope, Andrea, and Banny. I want to let you know that we are all committed servants of Christ Jesus. And even apart from you, we worship with you. All the followers, you, all the followers of Jesus of the 8th Street Church and beyond. We greet you today with the grace and peace that comes from God, our Father, and our Master, Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I think of you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership that we have in the gospel from the first day we found one another until now. So you know, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is right for me to feel so good about you. I can't help it since I have you in my heart, whether I am locked in a house or I'm defending the gospel or I'm serving somewhere. All of you share in God's grace with me. God knows how I long to be with all of you. He knows how much I love you and miss you in these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Jesus does. So this is my prayer for you while we were in the season, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but you will love well. I, I pray that you will learn to love appropriately and I pray that you, you need that you learn to use your head and you test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent. I, I pray that you'll live a lover's life, that it's an exemplary life, a life that Jesus would be pr proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. These are the words of God for the people of God. And we say thanks be to God.
but they're also Paul's words. And he wrote them to the church that he loves, and I say them to the church that I love, while we're social distancing. And so many years later, we take these words and we use them, and we listen to, to Paul's message over and over again. Because his was a world of disease, fear, hunger, isolation. And here we are in a world of disease, fear, hunger, and isolation. The situation we're in is serious. The situation is dire. It brings anxiety. It brings worry. It brings fear. COVID-19 has taken over the world. Our president uses wartime language. Like World War II, manufacturing plants are shutting down the production of their goods to produce what is needed. A group of government officials is now accused of dumping stock and participating in insider trading. There's an economic freefall. Medical professionals are exa exhausted. Birthdays are celebrated through windows. Hospitals are jam-packed. People are saying goodbye to their loved ones on FaceTime. Small businesses are closing. People are out of work. Orphans are dumped. The faithful and the diligent are left behind. School is out. Kids are home. Graduations and proms are canceled. Blue-collar workers now are more important than social media influencers and professional athletes. And worshipers can't gather in synagogues, mosques, or churches. And neighbors, they can't come to a table. The world seems to be in free fall. I agree with what Pastor Mikhail said when she said, this is the lintiest lint I've ever known. That's exactly right. This is Lent. And Lent is no holiday. Lent is real life. Lent is that season where we remember that there are those in the world who are suffering, and we remember our own suffering. During Lent, we usually add in focused moments of prayer and fasting into our day. But as Andy Crouch says, I sure wasn't anticipating giving up this much. Because we've been forced to give things up. Some are forced to give up their jobs, some food. Some are forced to give up time with their families, their loved ones, some their friends. Some are forced to give up their lives. And that is really difficult. But I want to remind us that Lent is the season that precedes Easter. Another way to say it, there is always bad news before there is good news. Crucifixion comes before resurrection. And I don't say that to you to offer some sort of self-help statement in a time of fear or to inject you with optimism or a false sense of positivity. I don't believe that's the gospel. Instead, I offer these words to you pastorally, theologically. I've been saying to you for four years now that as the 8th Street Church and the people of God in this new kingdom, we have a different kind of perspective. We have different insight. We can see a reality that others cannot see, that life in the kingdom of God is different than than life in this world. And certainly while we live in this world with its terror, Paul reminds us is of this, that the Lord is near and that our citizenship is in the kingdom called heaven. Now how this world that we've got here works is puzzling. We do not understand it. Its chaos has been evident from the beginning, from the beginning of time, from Genesis. But we have hope because from those very first days in Genesis, God was faced with chaos. Now sometimes I want to figure out chaos and the reasons for it, but you notice throughout the whole biblical text, God doesn't waste his time trying to describe the chaos or analyze it or discuss whose fault it was. 
Instead, what he did was he created light. And, he, and, and, and then following the light came this whole new world. This has been God's pattern, first in Genesis, but all the way through salvation history. The whole biblical story is one whereby God faces the chaos and then deals with it. And I think N.T. Wright says it best when he says that the chaos and the misery of this present world, it seems, is the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. What we see in these news reports, this death toll, these stories, this, this chaos. Well, I want to remind you that Christians believe that those are the elements that God uses to make all things new. He's done it before, and he can do it again. And this is good to know, because now it seems that, that there is a new chaos and that a new chaos is on its way. The night, the darkness, has tried to reestablish itself again. But when darkness tries to reestablish itself, we remember that there was another day of great darkness. It happened in a garden, not the one in Genesis, but the one called Gethsemane. And it was a night of struggle and torment for Jesus of Nazareth. And when Jesus was killed, the world would seem to be plunged back into the confusion and darkness. But it was just at that moment that he was and is now establishing the new world of light and healing. This is, this is what we are confessing when we state one of the oldest and shortest ancient creeds. Jesus is Lord. He was Lord over Palestine, Lord over Rome, Lord over the Caesars, Lord over the darkness, Lord over the weather, Lord over the church. He was Lord over fear and disease and death. In the middle of plenty, Lord. In the middle of famine, Lord. And this is what Paul knew. That's why he says in Philippians, I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know this Christ personally. I wanted to experience that resurrection power. I wanted to be a partner with him in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. Because if there was any way to get on that, in on that resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. In 2020, we've been a church that has actually been praying for healing. We had no idea that we would be in this space. But we looked at year A on the revised, in the revised common lectionary on the calendar, and we said we wanted this to be the year where we prayed for healing. So we've called it the year of healing. And I was reminded that suffering comes before healing, and that death comes before resurrection. And we've seen this before. We know this truth because we've heard it in the stories that we've shared over the last four years. I was reminded of this truth as I thought about our friend Tracy's story. A few months ago, she told her story here at our church about being abused for almost three decades by her husband. She experienced hunger, homelessness, and years of sleepless nights. Finally, one night, she just couldn't take it anymore, so she decided to kill herself. And that is when she met a couple named Lena and Kendall, as they were walking up the sidewalk to come to the 8th Street Church for the very first time. The three of them met on the way, decided to sit by one another, and something not short of resurrection occurred. And through the prayers and the work of the people of this church, Tracy was able to get away from her husband, 
found a wonderful place to live, has established new and wonderful friendships, family even. And now what she's doing during this crisis is organizing all of the meals for the people in her apartment complex because the buses have shut down and people have no way to get food. So Tracy has been the one to be the deliverer. That is death before resurrection. But nonetheless, it is resurrection. I'll also never forget my friend Lisa, who was in a car accident several years ago with her three children in the car. The three children were okay, but the accident broke her neck in an effort, and in an effort to heal it, she had to wear a halo that was drilled into her forehead that kept her head and her neck straight. It was incredibly painful. I saw her write on her Facebook this week an encouraging note to her friends as she was thinking about this chaos. She says this, I'll never forget the day I was freed from the four screws that embedded my skull. All the sweet freedom I felt when I left my pink and white striped chair behind after having spent months every single day of my life in it. I was overcome with emotion in a nirvana-like state that I can't quite articulate. We, we will all share a day like that when, poof, this is all behind us. It's hard to anticipate right now, but trust me, there's beauty after the storm, and I hope to encourage you with that. I remember, I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote under her comment, I will never forget the day you called me to come to your house on Ash Wednesday, the year after you were, the year after you were injured, and come and place the ashes on your forehead, to reach under your crown of thorns to place the mark of the cross on your head. I remember feeling as if I was with one who had been crucified, and I prayed that day, God have mercy on us all, and God did have mercy. Resurrection occurred, and may it be so again. As I've said to you before, people of the 8th Street Church, I'll say it again. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. So people of the 8th Street Church and beyond, people of God, do not forget this, that yes, you live in a world where fear and disease and death strike, but also you live in a world where a resurrection has occurred. I don't know how to do church like this. I've never done it before, and I don't know how long we're going to have to do church like this. It might take us a number of weeks. It may be months. We might not be able to gather for Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or Holy Saturday, or even Easter Sunday. We may be away from one another in person for some time, not to be able to meet in homes, or at parties, or around the communion table. But I do know, I, I do know this. Like Paul, I long for our gathering again. And the words of Reverend Jess Cast meant so much to me that I actually take them for my own and I give them to you today. The image that I'm holding onto that gives me hope and ways to move into our future together is this, when we get back into the sanctuary. No matter when that will be, that will be Easter. I want you to imagine the hugs that will be in here. I want you to imagine the tears. I want you to imagine how long we will sing and how loud we will sing the doxology. I want you to imagine when we get to say, you know what, we got through this together. I cry every time I think of this. 
So summing it up, my friends, as Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, until we are in the same space again, fill your minds and meditate on the things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic, compelling, and gracious. Think about the best, not the worst. Look for the beautiful, not the ugly. Focus on things so that you might praise, not things to curse. And put into practice what you've learned from me, what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. This is the good news that is offered to us today. It's grace, even online. For that, we say thanks be to God. Amen. I want you to sing because we cannot meet at the Lord's table together and we look forward to the day when we can. That will be our day of Easter. So sing as a response to His good grace in our lives. Thank you.